Mrs. Thomas and I have been doing some studying and talking about things, and it's just great to be able to do that, spend time and talk about the Lord and what God's saying here in his word, and then reading different messages, different preachers, trying to get their perspective and what have you. Been talking a lot, a lot about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, that's something that Baptists seem to have difficulty talking about, the Holy Spirit. But, folks, if you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, he dwells within you. And he intends to fill us and use us. Now we are filled with his Holy Spirit. Sometimes, though, we walk in sin and we are, we've lost communication with him. We've lost not our salvation or anything like that. But we've broken that fellowship And as such, we don't have the power that he would intend for us to have. As we are going in here through the book of Acts and into chapter today where we're at, and even before this, we're seeing how that Holy Spirit is providing power. I'll remind you, go back to Acts chapter 1. Remember this. The purpose of the Holy Spirit says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What's his power? And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And as we studied this morning, once again, they, t- they, t- they talked about that they would receive, be bold. They were praying that we would be bold. Remember, they were not praying that God would protect them from keeping them from going to prison or from being beaten, or stoned, or even put to death, because Peter and John had come back and said, this is what they did to us. But they were praying, they were praying that he would uh, keep them bold in them. It says, it, in verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, talking about that Sanhedrin, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They may speak thy word. Let's read now in chapter 4, verse 31, through the end of the chapter. Now look at this and listen to this. Talk about the power of this Holy Spirit. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. That is a result of having the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. You'll be such a witness and testimony. You'll go up before somebody, and whereas you might have one time said, oh, that's going to make me a little bit nervous. I'm a little bit intimidated. No. The Holy Spirit provides boldness. Remember, the Apostle Paul prayed that I would be bold, have boldness. Verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and one soul. If I had three words to give this lesson tonight, this sermon, this message, it would be, well, one heart, one soul, and the word love. Because it's all in this, all in this passage. It says they were the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. They believed. Believe what? Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, brothers and sisters in Christ. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. I'll get back to that. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Seems like that's another byproduct 
of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, having the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, exercising that spirit. Verse 34, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distributed and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We'll talk a little bit about the filling and the family here of this company tonight. Remember the company is the brothers, are the brothers and sisters in Christ, to Peter and John. Let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight you would visit us through your word. Pray, God, that you would speak to us through your word. Cause us to be different, dear Lord. May we access fully your Holy Spirit. You left him here for us. You said you'd not leave us comfortless. You certainly have not. You provided your word, preserved it. But that we have the Holy Spirit. Dear God, may we use your Holy Spirit as you see fit. May we allow him to have full control of our heart and life. God, may we be always mindful that wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we think, you are with us. May that cause us desire to walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we're taking this slow walk again, right? Here we go on, slow walk. How many like a slow walk? Anybody like a slow walk? Just a slow walk? How many try to get out and walk? I need to get out and walk. <laughs> if I get any bigger, I'll just be rolling. But I need to get out and do some walking. Uh, there was a time about a year, year and a half ago, I was walking about four miles a day. You know, I'd take my lunch hour if I could and go walking. I remember one day I was walking, it was about 97 or 98 degrees. And I didn't have my hat. I was walking. And this younger lady stopped and she said, Sir, do you need a ride? <laughs> I was just sweating. I'm okay, ma'am. I said, I'm fine. She said, because it's hot out. I said, yes, ma'am, it is. And I appreciated that, but it kind of reminded me that I'm getting to be old. But I need to keep us walking. But we need to take a slow walk when we go through God's word. We get so in a hurry. You know, maybe we're doing our Bible reading, and that's great, and that's good. But sometimes, you know, and you're in the midst of this reading of God's word, the Holy Spirit may say, no, wait a minute, I want you to slow down here. I want you to take another lap around that verse. I want you to take another look at that. i got something in there that I'm trying to say to you. Just like this morning's message, some of the things that was being said, and talking about how that these things were planned from the foundations of the world. God had planned this to happen, his son to be crucified. And, and we miss some of those things. So be sure you take this slow walk, this slow walk. So we talk about the filling. The first thing we see in verse 31, the first part, it says there was a spectacular sign. A spectacular sign. It says when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. What do you notice here? They had prayed. Their prayer was, it was answered instantaneously. Instantaneously. Now sometimes God does not answer the prayer immediately. Sometimes he may not answer it the way you want it. He'll give you an answer. 
But in this case, it's interesting to note, as they were all in one accord, everybody heading the same way, in the same direction, it's just I want to make note that the prayer was answered instantaneously. I don't know, maybe sometimes our prayer as a church is not answered instantaneously because we're not all in line. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just looking at these things and going, oh. But the Holy, the Holy Spirit was present in power. And the whole meeting place shook. whole meeting place shook. Now, we're in California, and we have a tendency, to, it shakes here every once in a while, right? I was, uh, how many felt the earthquake here about a month ago or so? Just a few weeks ago. And I'm the only one? Okay. I was, I was in Porterville. I was at City Hall. I was getting ready to visit with somebody there, and I was sitting, and I went, Boom, and I went, oh, that's an earthquake. And that was what that happened up around the Lake Tahoe area, a little north of that. But every once in a while, the place will shake. How many have friends that say they won't come to California because it, you have earthquakes? Okay, yeah. We had some friends that moved out to California from Iowa. And uh, it was about, this was in the uh, early 90s, and there was two or three pretty good-sized earthquakes, and they moved back to Iowa. And I said, yeah, we have earthquakes, but we don't have a season for earthquakes like you guys have a season for tornadoes. But at any rate, it's interesting, isn't it? But the, said the whole place shook. The shaking of that house was symbolic of what was taking place in the house of Israel. Here you had this movement, a movement that they had never seen before, where they had crucified a man. Oh, they'd crucified people before, but there was something different about this man because three days later he rose from the grave. Amen? And they saw him walking around, and there was no way they could talk around this. Everybody had seen this. Everybody had witnessed this. And the whole nation was spiritually quaking, if you will. The old ideas, their old system, their old theology, the old prejudices, the power structures, the Sanhedrin, they're being shaken to the very foundation. That's why the Sanhedrin was fighting these guys so much. They couldn't allow this to happen. Why? They were going to lose their power. They were going to lose their position. Many were fleeing to God's new house, the church. We're turning that temple into the house of God. Amen. Others were determined to reinforce the old religion of Judaism. And they're trying to prop it up. So, as we talk this morning, we see that the battle lines are being drawn, being clearly drawn. You know what? If we get out and hold hands with the world, if we walk as those in the world walk, it's hard to see those lines of demarcation saying what's right and what's not. We seem to cloud it up. We've been talking about 1 Corinthians on Sunday nights and talking about the carnal church and talking about how that the city of Corinth had invaded the church and when it should be the other way how the church should invade the city the lines are being drawn the lines are clearly drawn here today folks we see that it was a spiritual sign the second part of verse 31 and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with look at that word boldness boldness you will be bold when you are fully using God's spirit. Result of God's filling is speaking God's word with boldness. Now please make note here. What do you not see around here? And this is what I mentioned earlier, how that 
uh, Baptists, a lot of times we are afraid to say Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, uh, the power of the Holy Ghost, uh, and all these things. What do you not see? There's no mention of tongues here. There's no mention of tongues here. Some would tell you that you, you're, you're not evidencing, uh, evidencing the, uh, the power of the Spirit of God unless you're speaking in some unknown tongue. And that's not the case. No mention is made of tongues here in connection with this spilling. In fact, tongues are rarely mentioned in the book of Acts. There's several key occasions, but not mentioned that often. And then there's one place outside the book of Acts where it's mentioned. See, the filling of the Spirit is to enable us to speak the word of God with boldness. Let me say it again. The filling of the Spirit is to enable us to speak the word of God with boldness under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit himself. He will direct you. He will direct you. Sometimes we say, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to say something. I just don't know what to say. You know, if you've read your Bible, you've hidden God's word in your heart, he gives you the words. It's amazing how that sometimes you'll begin to talk to someone and a scripture will come into your mind and you'll say, well, God's word says. It's amazing. He will enable himself. He will be the controlling influences. Back to the verse I read, Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Are you being a witness and testimony in your world? In your world. Again, there was instantaneous answer to prayer. They prayed for boldness to speak the word. And it was given at once. Again, I just bring to mind. Could it be that this idea about being in one accord of one mind has some effect on God's ability of being ready to answer what we're asking? Let's talk a little bit about the family. Verse 32 and following, verse 32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Not just, not just one soul, but one heart. I mean, they, they, they desired the same thing. They wanted the same thing, the things of God. What did they want? They wanted to see people come to Christ. It certainly had been their desire to see all of Israel saved. And yet they did not get saved. Not all of them. But many of them did. One heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things he possessed, which was his own. But they had all things common. In other words, what my, what's mine is yours. If you come to my house and we're going to eat, and we like to eat around my house. I'll say, there's the fridge. And I'll take you as I'm going to the kitchen. And here's the cabinets, and uh, if you're hungry, you know, we're going to eat, but if you're still hungry, eat. If you go away hungry, it's your fault. And I mean that. It's your fault. I've got a refrigerator upstairs. I've got two refrigerators downstairs. Now, one of them is off limits. That's my father-in-law's. <laughs> He's got that ready. You might open that thing up and see a, a smoothie prepared to be... It's like a half gallon or whatever it is. Everything goes into that. I dare not ever drink that, but I'm sure it's all healthy. He's 94. He's 94. 
But what is mine is yours. What is mine is yours. Here's the movement that God had in mind for his church. The kind of oneness for which Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. It only lasted for a brief time though. Why? Well, we're people. We're people. The visible church was not exempt from the law of deterioration and, and decline. With, you'd have divisions that would come into the church. And we've seen divisions in church. If you've been in church any length of time, you've seen division. You say, you've got a group of people over here, they're looking this way. You've got a group of people over here looking this way. What does it do? It causes problems. It causes problems. That's not being of one heart and one mind and one soul. If you ever are in a divisive group, you need to find a way to get out of that group and get that one heart, that one mind, and one soul. Why? Because that's of Satan. That's of Satan. The division. Sometimes you'll have a strong personality. They'll come into the church, and, and some people with strong personalities, people just follow. They'll just follow that strong personality. Why? We're sheep. We are sheep. And we do follow. That's our natural tendency. You'd have jealousies that would come into the church. You're going to have false teaching. By the way, that false teaching is not an if. That false teaching is false teaching is going to come in. And we have to stand true and strong on the apostles' doctrine to make certain that we are not allowing false teaching to be spoken of from this pulpit. Lost my place. There I got it. Strong personalities. Never again would the church be so unanimously, unanimously united in heart and soul as it was in that early church. Oh, but I pray that we could. I pray that we could. And I believe that we can. But it takes everyone. Everyone. One heart. One mind. One soul going the same direction, desiring the same thing. A good place to start is being a witness and testimony, seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior. When they come through those doors, rejoicing with them, seeing them baptized, and seeing God add to the church. Uh, just a little advertisement here. For on Monday nights, you have the ability about 6.30 to come out. I know it's hot. And as it cools down, perhaps it'll get a little bit better. But we are able to go out and hand out some flyers. I'll share this with you. Last week I was uh, met up with Rick and Amy and he said, you go this way. I said, okay. I went that way. And so uh, I was walking down and, and normally you have to uh, kind of tackle people almost to get them to talk to you, it seems. And yet, as I was walking down the sidewalk, this lady, of course I was going to say younger lady, but almost everybody's younger than me now, She's walking out. Hi, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. How are you doing? We got to talking. Her name's Andrea. And they're looking for a church. And so I said, uh, well, here's our address. We would have you consider our church. You know, when you go out, uh, God will bring people across your path. And it's a great way to encourage people to come into God's house. Let's see visitors come into this house. Before this moment... For this moment, the church was one. The church was hitting on all cylinders, if you will. It was doing what God wanted it to do. Love and unity 
We're just, it's just spilling over into everything. Spilling over into everything. Boy. It was unique to the Jerusalem church. But soon these fires of mutual love and concern for one another began to die down. Why? We begin to, well, I want to see it done this way. I, I think there would be a better way to do it this way. Folks, just get on board. Just get on board. You know, um, and let's follow God. Let's follow God. But soon these fires are burning out, and it wasn't long before Paul was going to have to beg when he said, uh, asking for churches for money for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem in the book of Romans chapter 15. Didn't take long for those fires to burn out. Why? We're human. They had a oneness. Verse 33, it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. All the benefits of this oneness, this oneness of spirit, this oneness of mind, this oneness of heart. You know, when we try to grab a hold of this and drive it ourselves, you know what we do? We create a monster. We cause nothing but trouble. Let's just find out what God wants to do and do it. Far from silencing the apostles, the action of the Sanhedrin only spurred them on. It was like throwing gasoline on the fire, saying, you can't do this. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Watch me. Watch me. Kind of like with the uh, mandates. You can't meet together. Many churches said, not in a prideful way, but they said, no, our power is given from on high. Watch me. Whether I be you or God, you decide. And that's, what is, that's what's going on here. Spurred them on. See what it did to these, this company, as it's called in the scriptures that we read this morning, the saved men and women. It drove them to their knees. And then the Holy Spirit drove them to their feet. That's the way it should be. This should drive us to our knees. The first thing we do. We go to prayer. They began to pray as Peter and John said, this is what happened. And they're thinking, this could happen to me. And they prayed that God would intervene. See, no foe could stop them. No foe could stop them. There there had been nothing like this, this action that was going on, since the day of Pentecost, since the beginning of time, the fall of man. The world had never seen anything like this. It was the most awesome demonstration of power that man had seen. Truly was. It would have been something to be there at creation and see him speak into existence, the heavens and the earth, and they'll create the worlds, and then how he created Adam out of the dust. That would have been something, but he didn't choose to have an audience for that. He recorded it, but here he had an audience, and so the world had never seen anything like this. It was some more movement going on. I think back to the great revivals that have come through our land and over in the England area and back in Europe, the great revivals and how it stirred the people and how it caused an awareness. Something was going on. Well, this is what was going on even more so. Even more so. The fact that this action irritated the Sadducees 
That was no importance at all. <laughs> That's, you know what? People are not going to be happy when you start talking about the name of Jesus. They're not going to be pleased with that. Why? Well, he's God. He's God. Theologically, it was the very essence of the new faith, the study of the nature of God. And what was happening was authenticating the message of the church, this new church, which they didn't understand what was going on. It was demonstrating that salvation was complete. It wasn't some religious idea or some practice or some work you had to do. But it was a glorious reality. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the excitement of these people who had been following the law and now this man Jesus died, was buried, and he rose from the grave. They saw him. They realized his power over death, hell, and the grave. Received him as Savior. They're excited about what's going on in, his, in their life. And then they get this opposition. You can't do that. You can't do that. Oh, yes, we best do that. Yes, we best do that. Apologetically, not, and not apologizing, is simply a, uh, undefendable. Undefendable. It was unanswerable. The only answer the enemies of Christ could come up with was violence. Was violence. Paul later said to King Agrippa in chapter 26, it says, For this thing was not done in the corner. I think that's a great phrase. This wasn't done in the corner. It was done in the open. Everybody saw this, what's going on. But their only answer is violence. Turn with me over to chapter 6. Chapter 6. Just to kind of reinforce this idea of what's going on. I think it's chapter 6. I hope I got the right chapter. Maybe it's 7. I think it's 7. I wrote down. Chapter 7. Talking about the answers of the enemies of Christ could only employ violence. Have you ever seen somebody so frustrated they can't speak? Oh, talk about getting tongue tied. <laughs> I can get tongue tied. If I get a little flustered, I can get upset. The adrenaline shoots through the roof, you know. Of course, that's all in the flesh, folks. That's not the right way to be. But I get very frustrated. Look at verse 54. Stephen had been preaching at him. Oh, man, he just laid it out. He said, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And look what they did. They gnashed on him with their teeth. They bit him. They chewed on him. That is the height of frustration. Uh, we have to watch our babies sometimes in the nursery because you'll get a biter. And how many have had their little one come home with teeth marks on the cheek? They're, you know, they don't understand what they're doing. They may be in a bit of frustration. These folks were certainly frustrated. But look at this. It says, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, look at this, and stopped their ears. 
Stop their ears. We would tell our children sometimes we'd go down the road, Alice and I would be talking about something. He said, okay, stop your ears because we had to talk about something and make noise. And so they go like this. So they couldn't hear what we were saying. These are adults. Stopping their ears. Stopping their ears. By the way, this one accord thing works both ways. They ran upon him in one accord. They were full of Satan. We need to be full of God and full of his Holy Spirit. And cast him out of the city and stone him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. We know that's the Apostle Paul. I've got to read the last two verses. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Talk about somebody that's full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Spirit. To have some people come up you, to you, beat you, stone you, bite you, chew on you, and then for you to say, Lord, don't lay this at their charge. You know what that is? That's the love of God just pouring through you. Love of God pouring through you. And he kneeled down, laid it not to their charge, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. Well, let's read verses 34, 35. It says, Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the pieces of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. You know, we, are in a, we live in a mentality, uh, a world where it's uh, enabling or is that the word I'm looking for? I'm entitlement. Entitlement. I'm entitled to that. You know what? We have trained the people of America. You're entitled to that. You're entitled to that. You're entitled to that. No, you're entitled to go and work a job. God says you don't work, you don't eat. Um, but what's going on here is, is stay with me, don't, don't let me lose you, is, is the basic philosophy of communism. Now, Christians are not communistic. Communism breaks down because of the selfishness of the human heart. And what you have is you have ambitious men that want nothing but power for them. They see the opportunity to to increase their borders, their wealth, make it easier for them, and to control the people. They don't love the people. That's the difference between that and the first church here in Jerusalem. They enforce their will ruthlessly on the people. But the motivation here was Christian love. Christian love. And it manifested itself in voluntary sharing. What? Wait a minute. Did I hear you? You said you needed something? I got that. I got that. How much you want? For? No, it's yours. Just come take it. It's yours. Just come take it. I'm giving it to you. See, that shows the oneness of the body of Christ. That's the way we should be. The whole Christian community was intoxicated. I like words, using words like intoxication and evolution. But intoxicated with the love of Christ. They were filled with the love of Christ. Christ loved them, and because Christ loved them, and they recognized it, and they knew it, it caused them to love one another. Why? The mutual care, the concern... 
The compassion was a miracle of grace provided by the cross. What a company of people this must have been. These early believers, this church, this early church. No wonder so many wanted to become part of it. Too many times people will look at a Christian and they say, somebody else talk to someone about the Lord and they say, oh, well, so-and-so says he's a Christian. And if he's a Christian, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a Christian. He's not happy all the time at all. He's never happy. You know, in spite of the things going on around us, we should show happiness in our life. Why? Because I know the end. I know the end. Were you happy when your daughter died? No. I know the end, though. I'll see her again. I'll see her again. No wonder they want to become a part of it. Just think what they had before this. They were following the old ways, the laws, trying to keep the law. The world's full of old, sick, weak, poor. And here was a company of people that cared. Why? Something happened in their life, and they got saved. And because of it, it was causing them to live and act a certain way. And this first church here, the early church here in the book of Acts, they were on fire. It's what we call on fire. You know, the apostles didn't pass any laws trying to make mandatory that you need to do this. This just happened. Why? Because of the love of God. The love of God. You know, we do well in our own church fellowships today to look to recapture this sharing, caring spirit. Allow God to use you. Keep your ears open. One day you might hear somebody saying, you know, I I, I really need this or I could use that. And if you've got it, perhaps God has provided it to you so you can give to someone else. I don't know. Look at verses 36 and 37. It says, because we're going to get a specific example of this oneness. It says, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the old country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He goes, okay, I've done my part. Here it is. Do with it as needs to be done. You know, I, I, sometimes I'll hear people talking about churches and they'll talk about uh, their giving and they'll talk about, oh, we put a lot of money into that church. Really? Who gave you that ability to make that money? God. Uh, was that God's money? That was God's money. So he took it and he laid it at the apostles' feet. We're going to hear more of this man later on. He was a Cypriot which is a native of Cyprus. He was a Levite from a family in Israel that was devoted to handling sacred things. And according to the Mosaic law, Levites were not supposed to hold property, but they were to live off the free will offerings. They were to live off by faith. What law couldn't do, love did. Love did. We'll see later that Barnabas had relatives in Jerusalem. In Acts 12 and also in Colossians 4. He's called the son of, let me see, I've got it here. Consolation, the son of consolation. 
which basically means someone that gives to another's need. Gives to another's need. Might mean son of, son of exhortation, which, which would indicate something of this man's gift. He had the gift of prophecy, <clears throat> whichever. He was there. And he said, I'm showing my love. Now, he didn't do it so he could be patted on the back. God chose to have Luke record this and put it in his word. But this man did it because it was right to do. We talked about love this morning. And I said this. I said, if any man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. And remember, I paused. And I said, I'm going to read that again. And I said, drink on this. Let's do it again. If any man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. And then I said this. Oh, you say, I don't hate them. I just don't have much to do with them. And I'm trying to remember how I said it. I said something like, oh, really? You're going to go down that path? Because you're just fooling yourself, if that's your answer. We should love everyone in this body. We should treat them the same in this body. It says, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? But you go back to verse 10, and you find out why we have love at all. It says, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, to be the propitiation for our sins. He was our substitute. Praise God for the love that was shown us on Calvary. If we are allowing God's Holy Spirit to live through us to the fullness, we can do nothing else but love one another. We can do nothing else but have oneness of mind, oneness of heart, oneness of soul. I pray that's your prayer for this church. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word tonight. Thank you for preserving it. Thank you for the love shown us on Calvary. Oh God, we are so undeserving of you and yet you love us. Teach us, God, to love like you love. Teach us, God, to be in your will. Teach us to walk in your steps, your paths, follow your statutes. Dear God, may we allow your Holy Spirit fullness within our being that, God, we might be bold to be a witness and testimony for you. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. We're going to have just a moment of silence. If for any reason you need the altar, here it is.